Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. David Nicholas once said, God's promises are like stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. I think you guys can say amen to that. That's beautiful, right? Come on, I'm going to reread it. God's promises, we'll, we'll restart, ready? All right. God's promises are like the stars. The brighter, the, the darker, ugh, see, man, I'm, I'm speaking in tongues today, I guess, I don't know. God's promises are like the stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. Amen? Yeah, there we go. It's in our darkest moments when our faith, it really becomes like a drop in a bucket in the never-ending seas of worry and the seas of doubt and the seas of fear. Right? That's, that's when our faith really just feels the smallest is when bad things are happening. And that's really what this is saying right here. This is what David Nicholas was telling us, is literally that when we feel so tiny, when our faith feels insignificant, like that mustard seed that we've been talking about the last few weeks, that's when the Lord's promises stand like a pillar in our life like an anchor if we truly seek them out in his word. And seeking the Lord's help, a man came to Jesus once and he fell to his knees and he's weeping, he's crying. And his tears just shoot out of his eyes. He says, Lord, I believe. Yet help my unbelief. I think we need to pause there and let that sink in. The man's request, startling and in this paradoxical phrase, right? Because how can you really believe or have faith? It's the same word, they're interchangeable. It's the same root, pistis, okay? Faith. I have faith. Jesus, I have faith. Help me because I have no faith. It's quite thought provoking, isn't it? How can the man say he believes or has faith and at the same time ask Jesus to help him overcome the fact that he has no faith? If you would, let's go to Mark together, Mark chapter 9. And I apologize to my PowerPoint team because not everything's going to match today. 
Let's start in verse 14 because I want us to get the full context of what's taking place here. Starting in verse 14, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some of the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked, what are you discussing with them? So what is this argument about? One in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son possessed by a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And Jesus answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought out the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began to roll around, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said to him, since childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water, seeking to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help him. Jesus said, if you can, all things are are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. The full context of the man's prayer, he's saying, I have faith. But help my weak faith. really helps the meaning become clearer. Jesus had just returned from the Mount of Transfiguration. We've been talking a little bit about this passage the past few weeks, filling in the gaps. And there's a large crowd around his disciples, and an argument is taking place. They're getting stirred up because the scribes are saying, hey, look, you can't do this. You're doing it wrong, right? Because the scribes are the keepers of the law. They know exactly how things are supposed to happen. If you're going to cast out a demon, you have to do it in this way. And the disciples are trying, and, and they've been successful in the past, but now they can't do it. Jesus asks the people, what's going on? And they say, well, your disciples have been trying, but they're just falling short. Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me, verse 19. The boy is brought to Jesus, but when the Spirit, the Bible tells us, saw Jesus and immediately fell to the ground and began convulsing. Even the demons see the Lord and they tremble, right? After the boy's father explains his son's condition, he looks at Jesus in verse 22 and says, Jesus, if you can do anything, And isn't that how it feels in life? I mean, it, it really feels that way, especially as parents in this room, when your child is being attacked. 
when they're struggling maybe with an addiction, or they're going wayward, or, or their health is being attacked, Lord, I, I can't wrap my head around this. I, I want to be attacked. I would rather be attacked. Why is that happening to my child? I've shared with you guys the story of when I was nine years old. I got food poisoning, and because my family has this strange condition where we don't assimilate uh, potassium very well from the vomiting, my body went into shock, and the only way it felt like it could redeem itself and bring it back was to start to give me strokes. So I had a series of strokes, and I actually flatlined three times in the ER. My dad said, because I don't really remember anything from it, it actually wiped my memory. Everybody always comes up and says, you know a little Spanish? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I can understand a lot. I can't speak it very well. It's because of the stroke. It actually wiped my memory. As a kid, I used to run around a little nine-year-old being able to speak Spanish and freak people out, a little blonde kid speaking Spanish. And my dad just says that he just started talking to the Lord and saying, God, just take me. Don't take him. Don't take my son. My mom began just crying and saying, God, no, God, no. And she was screaming out prayers. And, and then she tells me, because, again, I don't remember. She tells me I would wake up and I would say, Mom, it's okay. Jesus is with me. You've got to stop praying. Those are the moments when we as parents feel the most hopeless, right? And that's the Father in this situation. Jesus, if you can do anything, I've already held on to the hope that your disciples could do it and they come and they lay hands and they pray and they do all this stuff and nothing happens. And Jesus, I'm empty. If you can do Anything, Lord, please. Take pity on us. Jesus assures him, everything is possible for whoever believes. And the Bible says that immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Jesus, I do believe. Jesus, I have faith. But help my weakness of faith. Help the fact that right now, I'm holding on to nothing. And upon hearing this request, upon hearing the I believe, help my unbelief, Jesus doesn't just say, well, if you don't believe, I'm not going to do anything and walk away. Jesus immediately spoke to the unclean spirit, to the demon-possessed child. And he permanently casts it out of the boy. Later, his disciples come and they inquire. They're like, hey, Jesus, why weren't we able to take care of this demon? Why weren't we able to do anything? And Jesus says in Mark 9, 29, 
This kind cannot come out only through prayer. Now, it could say only in prayer and fasting, just to let you guys know, if you're one of those that really just goes right to the dots and the I and the T's. In another passage, it says prayer and fasting. This passage, it says prayer. I've heard a theologian put it this way. He's a textual critic, meaning he goes around the world looking at all the ancient documents and seeing which one fits original, the original. He said, if you feel like you can hedge your bets by just casting out a demon through prayer, so be it. But he's going to hedge his bets by going ahead and fasting and then praying, okay? And that's the same thing here is really we don't know exactly, right? Prayer, fasting, just prayer. The idea behind this, though, is the idea of faith and doubt. Jesus initially responds to to hearing that the boy's condition, and he expresses a, a disappointment in the lack of faith. Did you guys see that? You unbelieving generation. You faithless generation. Now, Jesus has already said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, right? And he's saying you're faithless. You're smaller than the mustard seed. How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? The boy's father initially seems to even display this lack of faith too. He comes up to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything. Verse 22. If you can do anything, Jesus. Jesus picks up on that doubt. Look at verse 23. Read it it with me. And Jesus said to him, If you can? If you can? In essence, he's kind of saying, What do you mean, if I can? Right? He goes on to assure the man that anything is possible, right? As we said before, anything is possible if you have faith. If you have faith that's aimed at Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is, the Lord can provide. It appears that the only thing preventing the man's son from being healed is actually faith. And the man realizes he's already been betrayed by his his self. In his own lack of faith. He wants to express faith, but, but at the same time, he wants it to be genuine, right? You see it in his words. He's like, Jesus, I have faith. I have faith in you. It's aimed directly at you, but I have no faith. I do believe, but help me overcome this in me that is unbelieving. We see this played out in a few areas of Jesus' ministry. Take a look at Matthew chapter 13. And this isn't in your notes. It's not in the PowerPoint. Matthew chapter 13, 
Starting in verse 53 down to 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. And he came to his hometown and began teaching in their synagogues. So that they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miracles, these, these just amazing powers? So Jesus is sitting in the synagogue and he's teaching and, he, and he's just... He's, he's teaching God's word and he's explaining God's word. He's telling people how to live God's word and people are just amazed. They never heard it explained that way. And then Jesus is doing little miracles here and there, healing people that are sick, touching a person's hand and it's able to work again, healing the blind. And this is the response of the people. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us or among us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they had took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Amazing things are tied to our faith, aren't they? Amazing things are tied to our belief in Jesus. But a lack is tied to our doubt, our pessimism as well, isn't it? James tells us that the prayer of a righteous man, if a person comes in faith and asks, God acts on their behalf, he'll heal. But you have to come to God in what? Faith. The same thing is taking place here. It didn't say that Jesus could not do miracles, does it? It didn't say that in my Bible either. It didn't say that Jesus could not do any miracles because the people had no faith. No, Jesus can do anything. He spoke the world into existence. The Bible says that Jesus placed the stars. It says in Colossians chapter 3 that nothing that is being could have not been in being because of Jesus. So he was just as active as God and the Holy Spirit in the beginning of all creation. So is it the fact that Jesus was limited? No. He would not work in an unreceptive heart. That's what's taking place here. Jesus would not work in an unreceptive heart. When people close their lives to Jesus, when, G when people close 
their heart to Jesus, he is not going to force the work that he has. Because amazing things are tied to our faith and an open heart. Most Christians can identify with the man that we've been talking about from time to time. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement of our inadequacy that allows God to work in our lives, though. Because the man comes to Jesus, he, he at least recognizes that the only person that can fix this moment in his life is Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I believe in you, but I don't believe in what is taking place here. I don't know. I'm lost. There's moments in life that we're faced with sometimes that seem to overpower our faith. It seems like there's just a big shadow being cast, right? We don't seem to have enough faith to follow him in that moment. And that's really what's the underlining, underpinning thing. Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. I want to follow you with my finances, but I'm so afraid. Jesus, I want to follow you with, with my family, but I'm just I'm so afraid in this moment. I want to do what you're calling me to in work, but I'm so afraid. What if I lose my job because I tell people about you? Those are this call of this man. I believe, but help my unbelief. It's not that Jesus can't work with your faith. He just wants you to take that little faith that you do have and place it in Him. Because He is the object of your faith and bigger than your faith. The Bible tells us that He is able in Ephesians. Do you believe He's able? Faith in Jesus is the prerequisite, and, and the Lord takes care of the rest is really what's being told here. Christ said, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we could say to this mountain, get up and be thrown into the ocean. Matthew 17, 20. Now this is an illustration. Jesus is speaking from a location of Jerusalem. He's looking at literally the city that sit on the hill on the mountaintop. He's talking to his disciples who are like, Jesus, these guys, they, they want to kill us. They hate us over there. Jesus, how are we going to get a breakthrough? How are we going to get through, number one, Rome, and then get through to our own people? And Jesus is saying, hey, you could talk to that mountain, to that problem that you're saying. This spiritual stronghold. Get up and go. And nothing is impossible, and he doesn't say for you, but to you. Why? Because it's God working through you. It's not you. It's not you or your words, it's Jesus. It's our direction of prayer. It needs to be biblical. It needs to be us asking through Jesus to intercede on our behalf. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you can do great and mighty things. In fact, I've already given them to you in here. 
And this isn't a name it, claim it. Jesus isn't saying you just come ahead and say, you know what? Jesus, he could speak to waves. I'm going to speak to waves. No, that's not what it's talking about. Jesus has promises that he's already guaranteed you in his word, but he wants you to be a student of his word. It's based on your following him and studying him sitting at the feet of the master rabbi. Saying, Jesus, I have faith. In moments, my faith is weak. But the little bit of faith that I have, I'm going and following you. I put in your hands. Let me ask you, do you have faith in the promises of God? Do you believe that God has storehouses, heavenly storehouses, as Scripture tells us, for you? then what we have to do is start searching those heavenly storehouses and asking for them in prayer. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Verse 5 says, Does God work miracles in people because they live by the law? Was this little boy being healed because the scribes were saying, hey, you're doing it the wrong way. The law says we have to cast out demons in this way. Or was it because Jesus spoke and the man had placed what little faith he had left in Jesus' words? Does having a Bible, let me, let me see you guys, those of you guys that have your Bibles with you. The rest of you guys are all heathens. I'm so, no, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, we are all heathens, okay? We're sinners saved by grace. It's okay. I include myself in that. But does having a Bible, does owning a Bible give you miracles in life? Does it make you holy in life? Does just having it do anything for you? No. Does, giving, does having a Bible or going to a Bible study give you strength? No. No, not really. <laughs> not really. Not really. Does having a Bible do anything if you do not open it, read it, digest it, and believe it? It's useless 
to have the scripture if you're not going to read them, believing them, and putting them into practice is what Paul's saying here. He was talking to the Galatians who were going back to Judaism, or, or trying to incorporate it in their faith, I should say. And he's saying, hey, listen, the, you guys don't understand. He's like, you don't have to go back to it. Having scripture, under, just memorizing scripture, this does not help you unless you live it. If you live it, then every one of his promises are true for you. It's useless to have Scripture if we're not reading it, living it, consuming it, making it part of our daily lives. The law did nothing for Israel just sitting in scrolls when no one would unroll them, read them, and believe them. Because every one of the scrolls, every one of the Word of God in the Old Testament pointed back to Jesus and the people would not accept Him. Even His own. Jesus says, hey listen, I'm here in Nazareth and no one's accepting Me. In fact, those words when it says that aren't His sisters among us? What that's talking about is it's not saying aren't they just part of the crowd. No. When they're saying aren't they among us, it's saying aren't they part of us unbelieving people? His own sisters had rejected him. And from what we understand in other areas of Scripture, John chapter 7 tells us that his own brothers actually tried to have him arrested and killed by the Pharisees. So his own brothers did not accept him. What, was, what good was it having Jesus being born in their house if they're not going to believe in him? If they're not going to hear his words and live by them, right? And that's what it's telling us here. It's not until we unroll them and read them and digest them that the truth of God's word, that, the, that our faith truly comes alive. That's how we grow our faith. Our small little faith, right? Our small little mustard seed that we've been talking about. That's when it becomes alive and miracles can happen in our life because God is on the move. Just like He was on the move then. If we truly want to reach Miami and our communities and our families and our home and our work, it takes a miracle, doesn't it? So start unrolling this into your life. Paul moves on by reminding us of Abraham's example. He's like, hey, listen, you guys want to know of a man that held on to God's promises? Think of the guy that came before the law, Abraham. He's like, you guys are trying to hold on or go back to the law or, or implement the law into your life. He's like, Abraham was before the law. And Abraham, he lived the example of hearing the promises of God and believing them in verses 6 and 7, he says. Abraham believed that what God said was true and that God let him know what would be done. And Abraham said, hey, get like, God is not a liar. And he applied that truth to his life. 
God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, and again in, verse, in chapter 22, and he reiterates in chapter 14, almost the, in every other year, God was coming to Abraham and saying, I'm going to bless you with a child. And I'm going to bless the nations and produce out of you and your son Isaac. Abraham said, okay, God, I believe you. And then God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, guess what? I want you to take that son that you've waited all these years for. I want you to climb up to that mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. Why is it that the attacks always come on our children, right? The tests always come on our children. And Abraham looked and he said, okay, God. You see, Abraham believed that all God had said, that God said, I'm going to give you and bless you through your son Isaac and all the nations will be blessed by your son Isaac and that the inheritance would come through your son Isaac. So when God says, I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to go sacrifice him, Abraham said, you know what? If God's calling me to do this, God still has that promise that he's going to work through Isaac, then I don't know what's going on here, but God's going to work it out. And Hebrews lets us in on this little secret. In Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he had received the promise and was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it is said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. In verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise people from the dead from which he did receive him back as a type. So we get a little insight into Abraham. He's saying, oh, if God wants me to go sacrifice my son, God can raise people from the dead. I'll do whatever he says. I'll do whatever God says. Abraham said, okay, God, I I know you promised me, and I stand on that promise because God does not lie. And he had faith in what God had said. Do you have faith in what God says? So church family, the question is, do you know God's promises? Are you believing God's promises? And are you standing on God's promises for your life? Jesus says we're to build our life on his word because everything else is sinking sand. Because God does not go back on his promises. Because God longs to hear you call out to him and talk to him in the name of Jesus so he can give you the promises that are already yours. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus and his promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Now, I know that's kind of confusing and poetic language that's being used here, but what Paul is saying is that God has already said yes to his promises. He's already given them. The answer is yes. It's like my kids, whenever they ask on Sunday, Dad, can we have ice cream? They know it's ice cream Sunday. Okay? We have this rule in our house, Sunday is ice cream day. It's like they're testing me. Dad, can we have ice cream? Guys, it's ice cream Sunday. Yes, you can have ice cream. The answer is yes. 
Don't ask me, Naomi, on the way home. <laughs> and it says, therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. The, that, that idea of amen, that it's this binding truth. We have the amen. We have the promise. We have the truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises and the amen, or let it be done to the promises. When you say amen, you're saying, God, let this be done. When God hears you ask for what he says in his word, it actually pleases him because you're searching, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it will happen for his glory. It pleases him that you ask through the promise of his son, through the truths of his word, and that when he answers, you'll sing praise to his name, because that's what we're supposed to do when things happen in the name of Jesus. Let's bring a little clarity to some of the promises and miracles that we're asking for, we should ask for, by faith, and, and came with the faith that we have in his salvation. His promises may not bring you earthly riches. Sorry, Joel Osteen. Oop, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but they will bring you heavenly splendor. I'll say that again. God may not promise you earthly riches, but He promises you heavenly splendor. That's an amen. They may not bring you an abundance of property, but if you hold on to them, they'll bring you an abundance of faith. They may not make you popular before men, but your name will be proclaimed before the throne of God. They may not mean that you'll never get sick or never be unhealthy, but God's promises mean that you will never perish and have everlasting life. They may not mean you will never become, that you will become, excuse me, the smartest person in the world. But they do mean he will give you wisdom and understanding when you ask. They don't mean that you'll never struggle. But they do mean that in the struggle, you will never be alone. And that he'll never leave you. And that you'll never be by yourself in the struggle and in the midst of the fight. The Lord's promises are there for his people to ask in Jesus' name. These are just some of the New Testament promises that we have. And we're to ask those in faith, with the little bit of faith, the little itty-bitty faith that we have. In the moments that the struggles become real, in the moments that we're faced with these horrible obstacles, and we're looking, we're saying, Jesus, I have faith, but help the fact that I have such little faith, or help the fact that my faith is at a low point right now. 
Jesus is the fulfillment and the fulfiller of all of God's promises. And they're right here for us to search out and to seek. To stand before God and ask in prayer. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if it was said of you, if it was said of Southwest Community Church, if it was said of me, that we stood and we searched the promises of God and when we found them, we believed the promises of God and the church asked for the promises of God and it was credited to them as righteousness. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Having the promises in His Word, it doesn't help you though. It's reading them, knowing them, and asking for them. Stand on His promises. Know that God keeps His Word because His Word is Jesus. And His promises are true. In your darkest times, that's when His Word shines the brightest. In your darkest times, trust that the Lord is working it together. Oh, that's another promise for your good. Do you believe that? Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.